talk about art imitating life. Wow. <laughs> I couldn't believe it when I heard the facts scenario in this case. A writer-turned-actress, Aisling Tucker Moore Reed, guns down her uncle, apparently in some type of an altercation about money and property and a will. Shane Patrick Moore dies there in the home after being gunned down by his niece, but the twist is, advance in time, fast forward, she, Reed, then takes a role in a movie where she plays a woman that guns down her victim, eerily similar to gunning down her own uncle. Talk about the past coming back to haunt you. And today, in the wake of yet another school shooting, this Florida high school student, 18, now charged with soliciting murder after he posts online in an Instagram post offering $100,000 for somebody to kill one of his teachers. Later, he says he's, quote, joking. <laughs> well, I don't find it funny at all. This is Crime Stories. I'm Nancy Grace. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. When the filmmakers first held auditions, they say Reed went by the name Win Reed, concealing her true identity. They say she nailed the audition, showing genuine emotion that felt real. But knowing what they know now, they say they never would have cast her. That's part of the accusations that really is part of the nightmare is that we knowingly cast this person to take advantage of this horrible situation. And I can say, none of us wanted this. For two Grants Pass filmmakers, the saying, life imitates art, has turned into a nightmare. Matthew Spickard and Justin Adams say they cast a local actress who, as it turns out, has a lot more in common with her character than they thought. You could feel that she is in a really dangerous position and she just handled it exactly how we wanted. Aisling Tucker Moore Reed, a Jacksonville writer who goes by the pen name Tucker Reed, was at the time of the filming out on bail. She was charged with two counts of manslaughter in the death of her uncle Shane Patrick Moore in July of 2016. This appeared to be an intentional act and that she was angry during this time. It wasn't until the last day of the shoot in July of 2018 that the men say Reed's past was revealed. We got the story that, that made her, it painted her as a, as a hero, basically. Did a 30-year-old actress gun down her uncle the same way as a murder in a horror movie she just finished filming. I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us. Joining me in all-star panel, Wendy Patrick, renowned prosecutor out of California. James Shellnut, Metro Major Case, SWAT officer, now lawyer. Dr. Tim Gallagher, the medical examiner in the state of Florida. Right now to CrimeOnline.com investigative reporter, Dave Mack. Okay, I don't understand. So she is an actress, Aisling Tucker Moore Reed. That's a mouthful. What's her real name? Let's just go with that. What's her real name? Uh, Aisling Tucker Moore. Aisling Tucker. Yes. Okay. Are you? Do you get it all out? Aisling Tucker Moore. Okay. Let's just go with Tucker Moore, thirty-year-old female, 
looks like an actress. I mean, she looks like she could star in a, a TV show or a movie. So she films a horror movie, including a scene eerily similar to the real-life murder of her own uncle, Patrick Moore. Let's just start at the beginning. How was Moore killed? From what we understand, the 63-year-old uncle, Shane Patrick Moore, was walking into uh, one of the family homes when he was gunned down. To Dave Mack, CrimeOnline.com investigative reporter, what can you tell me about Aisling Tucker Moore Reed, the 30-year-old writer-turned-actress? Tell me about the horror movie she was starring in. It was an independent film, and uh, they put out a casting call, and she responded to it, uh, got the part. The uh, gentleman involved with writing and directing the film said that she seemed to really capture uh, the character, uh, didn't even have to act. Um, it is an independent film. It takes time to raise money. They actually went on Indiegogo to try to raise the funding to do the film to start with. Uh, in the day that it wrapped, or the day after they wrapped shooting, is when they found out, the uh, writer and producer, director of the film, that's when they found out the background of their lead actress. This is what we know. Aisling Tucker Moreed had just finished filming the role. The title of the movie, From the Dark. And she plays the lead role of Valerie Faust. Now, the movie is about a young tour guide at a lodge in an Oregon forest celebrating her last day on the job when things go sideways and take a sinister turn. The very day after she's done filming, she gets busted in connection with the deadly shooting of her own uncle. Now, we also know that she was a one-time reporter for the Grants Pass Daily Courier and for Cosmopolitan Magazine. That's the so-called ladies' magazine where there's always a scantily clad woman on the front with a lot of black eyeliner around her eyes. So know that police have obtained video footage of the shooting. I want to go to you, Wendy Patrick. You think that movie is going to be played in front of a jury over and over and over. I mean, it's a mirror image of the shooting of her own uncle. You know, Nancy, that had to make it relevant. And that's one of the things that somebody who's looking at the story for the first time might think, well, of course it's going to come into evidence. Of course it's going to be played. They're going to draw parallels. But there are just so many evidentiary hurdles. But you got to think, this is so unique that perhaps there is some theory under which the prosecutor can not, can at least say, hey, you know, any prejudice might go to wait, but it is marginally relevant. Oh, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean marginally relevant, Wendy Patrick? She plays the role of Valerie Faust and commits a, sh uh, a murder by shooting. And then that very day when the, 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 the movie wraps, she guns down her uncle in the very same way. But that's the argument, Nancy. You know, I begin my career as a defense attorney, and if I were to take that side just for fun, what I would argue is, you know, obviously it has to be a weighing of the prejudicial and the probative value. You would have to believe that that, and again, that's a great prosecution theory, and I would hope that if it were my case, I would win that argument. But that's what you'd be battling against, that it is so prejudicial, partially because it's probably true, it is so prejudicial that some defense attorney might get in there and be able to persuade a judge that unless a door is open further, that it should be excluded. Hopefully not, but those are the two sides of the coin. After shooting her uncle dead, she stars in this role as Valerie Faust. Dave Mack, uh, it, it seems bass-ackwards. So 
was she not ever charged in the shooting of her uncle at the time? Yes, ma'am. She actually was charged. And when you actually look at what happened the night her uncle was shot, you have to realize that uh, that Ainsley Tucker Moore Reed was with her mother, the sister of the victim here. And they were at a family home discussing family matters and real estate issues. And there was a problem with the uncle. Um, as a matter of fact, the uncle, who is the victim here, actually was awaiting a trial on attacking Ainsley Tucker Moore Reed and her mother, Kelly Reed. And there was a long background of physical, emotional um, violence between the family members. And so ultimately she shoots him dead. Now, let me understand this. Um, was there video recording of the actual shooting? Yes, ma'am. Because of their past, Ainsley Tucker Moore Reed actually had her cell phone on as the uncle was coming into the home. And when she was charged with two counts of manslaughter at the very beginning, they arrested her immediately after the shooting, like five hours later. And they thought, they being the officials uh, that investigated, thought it was self-defense because that's what the mother of Tucker Moore Reed said, that it was self-defense. She filmed it, and then they hid the phone. Her mother, Kelly Reed, who is a, formerly an attorney in California, actually hid the phone. When police recovered the phone, that's when everything changed in this case. So there was the shooting, then the horror movie, and then the arrest. Correct. Okay, straight out to Dr. Tim Gallagher, medical examiner, state of Florida. Dr. Gallagher, when you're looking at a shooting victim, can you tell the angle, the trajectory path, whether there are defensive wounds? I mean, what about the body itself can tell you what happened? Oh, absolutely. And that's one of the major reasons why we do these autopsies to determine that. Uh, we have to make sure that the story does match the evidence presented on the body. So if he did enter the house, as she alleged, and, 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 she, and she shot him afterwards, we would expect the entrance wound of the gunshot to be on the front of his body and possibly an exit or a bullet recovery on the back part of, his, of um, the body. So if uh, anything else is different than that, then we have to propose another scenario as to what had actually happened. What do you make of her claim, James Shelnut, 27 years, Metro major case, SWAT officer, now lawyer, her claim of self-defense? You know, she may have an argument of self-defense. Uh, you know, she had a protection from abuse order against her uncle. Uh, she was inside. She didn't go outside to confront him. The uncle was actually walking into the house. Uh, you know, she's going to argue, hey, I'm, I'm a weaker female. Uh, you know, this guy has been abusive before. I had a court order. Uh, and the circumstances around that, Nancy, are going to be very important. Uh, you know, okay, the, the victim is, is shot in the chest. But you're going to have to take a close look at what was that relationship? Was there a reason for her to fear him? Was that use of force justifiable under those circumstances? And you're really going to have to take a close look and put everything under a magnifying glass as it relates to that situation and the relationship between those things. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace.
months later, a grand jury added a murder charge after investigators found a video recording on Reed's cell phone, which ended with Reed pulling the trigger, killing her uncle. Once we saw the video, it was like oh, it, the, the entire story that we got was was completely uh, fabricated. All the more disturbing, the two say, is why Reed would want to star in this film. There's a scene where she shoots someone. There's also like this thing about manslaughter and stuff like that. It felt like she knew the character more than more than actually we, we did in the end thing. Reed's mother told NBC5 News shortly after the shooting that her brother threatened to kill her and was physically assaulting her when he was shot. So they had a volatile relationship. We know that. Wendy Patrick the the reality is is after looking at the video the mom allegedly hid the cell phone video of the shooting they charged her now what do you make of that wendy patrick a veteran california prosecutor and any claim of self-defense show you the more evidence that can be recovered the difference may actually justify more serious charges so it looks like and at least it sounds like chronologically once that video footage even though my understanding is it doesn't capture the actual shooting it captures the circumstances surrounding the shooting to the extent that the prosecutors believed that that evidence even circumstantially would justify a higher charge now having said that we've all followed so many different types of self-defense cases particularly when you have a woman shooting a man that do have at least elements that allow jurors to consider whether or not not it, it obviously this is not a who done it it's a what is it is it murder one murder two is it voluntary manslaughter was there reasonable uh, use of force used and was there reasonable reason to be afraid those are the kinds of things that apparently in this case uh, led led the prosecutors to believe that in fact it wasn't manslaughter and that they could go forward on the more serious charge now there is a video a phone video and there is sound as well. And you hear a scream and the words, he's coming into the house, you son of a bitch, get out of here. The phone continues to record through all that confusion. Then you hear the gunshot on the video. You can hear the actual shooting. Shane Moore, of course, suffered a gunshot wound to the chest and died. Then you hear the uncle agonizing in pain from the shooting in the background. You hear everybody yelling. The phone picks up the sound of someone in the bathroom sobbing and sounding sick. Shane Moore, the victim, is apparently still alive and bleeding. And you hear Reed, that's the suspect, the female suspect, ask her mom, he's not dead? And then she says the F word, he's not dead? Now... <laughs> That is definitely going to work against her. So to Dave Mack, let me ask you this. Um, as a question everyone is asking, why would she take a film that mirrors the crime she's charged with? And what about the timing? What does that tell us? Um, I think the timing, Nancy, is just happenstance. Okay, this is a young woman who uh, actually, you know, saw herself as an author um, uh, and an actress um, and I think she just auditioned for a movie role. I don't think that it had, I, I really don't think one thing had to do with the other. Um, you look at her background, she took an indie film job. Uh, she auditioned for the part. We do know that she didn't use her real name uh, when she actually you know, auditioned. She made up a different name, Wynne Reed, so that if they did search her, they wouldn't pull up the manslaughter charges that she was facing at the time. Well, a, a, another issue about that to Wendy Patrick they may be disconnected in time and space, but it tells me something that she would take the role 
of a shooting, a fatal shooting, death by shooting, eerily similar to her gunning down her uncle and thinking nothing of it. What does that tell you about her frame of mind? I'll tell you, it, you can't make this stuff up, Nancy. That's what we, you and I have both probably told our families over the years as we go, go through the facts of some of these cases. It is one of those, you know, uh, Dave Mack uh, accurately says happenstance. If, in fact, that's what it was, it has to be one of the most unique coincidences available. You would have thought that given what she'd just done, even if she has a claim of self-defense, that this would have been a role that gave her some pause as to whether or not it was wise to accept, knowing full well, or at least anticipating, that she would have to answer to these charges one way or another in court and wondering whether or not this might become admissible. Whether it will or not, that'll be up to a judge, but it is, as you say, eerily similar. I echo those sentiments, and it'll be interesting to see how it's played out in a court of law. Well, to me, at the very least, it shows a complete disregard of the facts and the law. You're charged with shooting somebody dead, then, you know, a few months later, you play the role of someone shooting somebody dead. Now, take a listen to the video we have obtained. The other day, um, he, he has assaulted me. He's not supposed to be within any any range of me. Uh, he came into this house past me while I was sleeping. This man, this yes. yes, this man, this man, he threatened this woman's life, my mother, unless she signed that paper. Okay, right now the will. uncle is looking through the window and she is sitting around a table, it looks like with the mom and another woman, and they're talking. see the camera wildly moving around and it seems as if he was shot still outside was he outside dave mack or had he gotten in the house according to what came out in court he was actually in the foyer just inside the front door okay so he had come into the home this is what we know by taking that role it indicates a total disregard of the circumstances of playing the role of a killer when you're you've just killed someone your own uncle now, how will her decision to portray a killer on the screen affect her real-life murder trial next month, Wendy Patrick? Yeah, that's going to be a question for the judge because obviously the prosecution and the defense have opposite ideas as to how that should become relevant. Um, one of the things that it probably will show if it does come into does come into evidence is this level of 
callousness. You know, one of the things a jury has to decide if they're. And when you look at someone's conduct after they pull the trigger in this kind of a homicide, that response is enormously relevant to what the mindset was at the time. So, too, that decision making to accept the role of a killer when you just killed someone, whether she's claiming it's self defense or not is going to be very important for a jury. And it's really going to be seen in light of so many of the other just bizarre facts surrounding uh, this footage, which obviously looks bad, but can be spun the other way, as we've seen in some of these cases that have been very newsworthy as to what exactly was going through her mind at the time she pulled that trigger. This case heading to trial, we wait as justice unfolds. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Investigators say there will be zero tolerance for this type of crime. Now the 18-year-old is facing a felony charge. I'm calling to let you know that one of our students was arrested last night for solicitation for murder. That's the message 5A high school parents are receiving this afternoon. We will not sit back and allow people to threaten other people or to harm other people. Pasco County deputies say they arrested 18-year-old Nicholas Godfrey for trying to solicit someone to kill a staff member. Quite honestly, he's ruined his life by a simple threat on social media. According to court documents, the 18-year-old is accused of sending messages through Instagram. They read, quote, I need a guy who could kill someone and offered $100,000. He also states, no joke. Speaking with um, Mr. Godfrey, he, he did not have any clear direction or, um, I guess, plan as to follow through with this as, as he said but um, more of he was joking around. Did a teen boy threaten murder offering $100,000 to kill a school employee? Well that's what authorities in Hudson, Florida say. I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us in Hudson, Florida. Cops say a Florida teen offers $100,000 for someone to murder a staff member at his high school? Pasco County Sheriff Chris Noko announcing during a news conference that teen boy Nicholas Godfrey charged with solicitation to commit murder. With me, CrimeOnline.com investigative reporter Dave Mack. What happened? Nancy, it's your bottom line 18-year-old high school student who, again, claims he wasn't serious. But I'm going to tell you, in this day and age, Nancy, when you put out something on social media claiming that you want somebody dead and you're willing to offer $100,000 to get it done, I don't know how in the world you don't take it serious. And the police did. The SRO at the high school was actually notified by somebody on campus about this Instagram. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The SRO. The school resource officer, police officer Mm -hmm. that is actually Uh at the school. He was notified by somebody at the school. They won't tell us who. But uh, they notified this SRO and said, hey, man, you might want to take a look at this posting from this other high school student. And he looked at it and immediately got it up the chain of command, and they took action immediately on this. To Ashley Wilcott joining me, judge, trial, lawyer, anchor at Court TV. You can find her at AshleyWilcott.com. When does a social media post turn into a crime? 
anytime it's a threat. So the problem is joking is not a defense. Oh, it was a joke. That is not a legal defense. Anything that threatens criminal activity is a crime. And that's the problem. We've got these teenagers making dumb decisions because that's what teenagers do, but they can't rise it to the raise it, excuse me, to the level of threatening to do a crime. You know, to Cheryl McCollum joining me, forensics expert and director of the Cold Case Research Institute, he posted it on Instagram. It, it takes about five minutes to trace that account back to his home. Exactly. And then when he's asked about it, he goes, oh, I was joking. However, he had already typed out in a second post, no joke. Like he wanted this person extinguished as fast as possible. He said he wanted a hitman. He offered an amount of money, and he said who the victim was. That is a straight-up threat in anybody's book. And here's something else that the young people listening to this show need to understand. This is like a drunk driver that runs over and murders somebody. You can't say, well, my intent wasn't to murder anybody. I don't even know that guy. I wasn't mad at him. This is one of those, it doesn't matter what your intent was, buddy. You said it. And now you've got to deal with it for the next however long they're going to send it down to. You know, I'm, I'm curious about the legal intricacies. A teen boy is charged with attempting to commit a murder by offering $100,000 for a school employee to be killed. Who did he want dead, Dave Mack? Nancy, they won't say. They're only saying a, a staffer at 5A High School. And that's all they're telling us. They're not telling if it's a teacher, administration, nothing. They're just saying it was a staff member. You know, but it's got to be on the indictment to Stephen Lampley, detective, author of Outside Your Door on Amazon. You know, these school resource officers, a lot of people poo-poo them, but they're on the front line with this type of thing, Steve Lampley. Yes, Nancy, they are. And they're very vital, especially nowadays. Uh, when I was a police officer, they were just getting into that. But SRO officers are... Most states are highly trained in specific incidents such as this. I mean, they receive special training above and beyond what they would get at the police academy to handle situations like this, as well as active shooters and other things. School resource officers are a definite plus and definitely needed in our school system. To Dr. Bethany Marshall, and boy, do we need a shrink, psychoanalyst joining us out of Beverly Hills. Dr. Bethany, weigh in. I would like to address the cultural component. I received a call this weekend from a very prominent family. Their son had just turned 18. Since he was in the fifth grade, he has racked up millions of followers on YouTube, and he is now worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Okay, sadly, this is not an unusual case in my practice. I hear this. The minute he turned 18, the parents lost control. Uh, buying fancy cars, making threats, doing behavior out of control. And I don't know what this kid's family life was like, but the $100,000 he offered really hit me. It struck me because I have another case of a kid who bought one Louis Vuitton wallet and then he traded it up for a jacket, then he traded it up for tennis shoes. And now he has hundreds of thousands of dollars in his bank account. And these, this is a layer. I, obviously, this kid made a homicidal threat. Obviously, he's ruined the rest of his life. 
obviously he's spoiled at some pathological level, but kids now have the resources to carry out threats and parents have lost control. My dearest friend is a professor in the, in the School of Social Work at USC, and she says that whenever she gives a bad grade or whenever she disciplines a student, they will call their parents and get attorneys. They get attorneys because they're upset at her. So our educators are not just being threatened in terms of their life, but they're being threatened in the legal system. They can't even teach. So culturally, we have fostered this attitude that kids have too much money and it's okay to threaten our, our school system and our staff, professors, and teachers. Take a listen to this. So today, when we announced that we were arrested, Nicholas Godry, date of birth, 92501, for attempting to solicit and conspire for a first-degree felony to kill someone. Uh, that person he tried to kill was a person, a member of the 5A staff. And so I just want to put it out there that, you know, there's going to be zero tolerance. You threaten a member of the school district who's out there trying to do their job, to educate children to be part of that process, you know, we're going to come hunt you down. We will track you down. And the very sad part of this whole situation is that when the investigators, when Detective Dacey got there, the parents were shocked because they had no idea. And that is another sad reality of what's going on. I just want to read you some of the statements on Instagram that Nicholas put us, posted out there. He stated on a message within the 5A fan club, this is, I quote, I need a guy who could kill someone. Another quote was, we have $100,000 for the victim's head. And the third quote was, no joke, I need him eliminated as soon as possible. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. From talking to them, it didn't seem like there was anything. You look at his past, it wasn't like this was a, a bad student. This adult was, the record did not show somebody who had a consistently bad, terrible issues. But yeah, this is one of those things that surprises because it goes back to it. It doesn't matter if somebody says I was joking. It doesn't matter what their intent is when you do it and you post it out there on social media, you committed that crime. But I'll let Detective Dacey go a little further into it to see if there was anything to that. Now, after speaking with um, Mr. Godfrey, he, he did not have any clear direction or, um, I guess, plan as to follow through with this, as, as he said, but um, more of he was joking around. You know, I, I'm thinking about the legal requirements to Cheryl McCollum, Director of Cold Case Research Institute. Cheryl, it's one thing to just sit around and going, man, <laughs> it wouldn't bother me if they were dead. But then typically the law requires a, quote, overt act, like you have to go buy a gun or you have to case out the victim's location. Here, he sent not one but two emails soliciting murder. And if I were prosecuting, I would argue that that is the overt act that turns this not into just a teen dreaming about how much he hates us. By the way, we have Uh, information suggesting that the victim, the target, was a male teacher there at the school that turns it from just daydreaming into an overt act that constitutes a conspiracy and solicitation of murder. Nancy, any child that has gone past ninth grade has on some occasion wished a teacher didn't make it to school, maybe because of the flu, 
maybe where, you know, a bolt of lightning would close the school down. But nobody, when you take pen to paper even, back in the day before we had cell phones, to write a note like this, to leave a message on a answer machine like this, there was always ways to, you know, make these threats. So, you know, social media was just the way that he chose to do it. But he didn't make one. He made two. And he clarified for us, not joking. You know, the other issue here is determining intent. To say I was joking, mm, it doesn't really negate the intent at the time you put it out there on social media. And this was Instagram to Ashley Wilcott, he's not even trying to hide it. Right. And that's, you know, just what you said is so key. In juvenile court, when I'm on the bench, I have seen a lot of youth come in and be in trouble for something that they've posted online, a note that they've written. And and here's the problem I see. A, it doesn't matter if you're joking. It's still a threat. It's still a crime. B, they forget that social media puts it out there to everyone. It's such a norm to them to do that sometimes I think they forget that it's really significant and makes it even worse by putting it on social media. They don't think twice about it, and it is not a good thing to do. Take a listen to this. Quite honestly, I'm, I'm tired of meeting with the press uh, to or with the public uh, announcing uh, the foolishness that goes on with uh, the behavior of some of our kids. Um, the social media issues uh, are incredibly disruptive uh, to our mission to educate kids in this district. One of our top priorities in this district is to ensure that our kids are safe. Uh, when this situation uh, came up, um, uh, they were very quick to respond, uh, both with protection uh, for the individual. Uh, but then this morning when I uh, rolled out of bed and I had a text waiting for me that uh, indicated that they had arrested this uh, man, this young man, uh, that quite honestly has ruined his life by a simple threat on social media. Uh, I was uh, elated that we had uh, apprehended him, but very saddened, very saddened uh, by what this young man has just done uh, to the rest of his life. Uh, and this is the message that I have tried to get through to all of our students across this district. Uh, I have begged with students, I have pled with parents uh, to know what your kids are doing on social media uh, and who they're talking to. To Dave Mack, what did the defendant, 18-year-old Nicholas Godfrey, say about the money? Well, it's an interesting sidebar to this, Nancy, because while he's making these uh, posts online, he actually says, we have $100,000 for the victim's head, plural, we. What does that mean, though? It Well, <laughs> he claims it was all a joke, but I'm wondering, I mean, do we have other people that need to be investigated? Was he a part of a group of uh, people that believed they needed to take this person out? Or, I mean, what does he mean by we? So this is what we know. Pasco County Sheriff's Office, the 18-year-old Nicholas Godfrey, used an Instagram account called 5A Fan Club, and that's the name of the high school, 5A High School, to send messages to another student on Instagram, a student at 5A High School, stating, I need a guy who could kill someone, saying that he would give that student $100,000 to murder a staff member we now believe to be a male teacher. So he wasn't just posting it blindly on Instagram to the general population. He sent it to a specific 
person offering a hundred grand, then follows up by saying, No joke, I need him eliminated as soon as possible. He confesses to sending the messages and even handed over the cell phone that he used to send the Instagram. So if he is convicted, to Steve Lampley, detective joining me, author of Outside Your Door on Amazon, Steve Lampley, you've seen plenty of solicitation for murders cases. What's the potential sentence in this case? Nancy in Florida, he could get up to 30 years in prison and a $10,000 fine for his actions. 30 years behind bars, and did you say $30,000 fine? $10,000, Nancy, $10,000. $10,000 fine, and the likelihood that he's going to be treated as an adult, that's not even a question. Once you turn 18, you are treated as an adult. We wait as justice unfolds. Nancy Grace, Crime Stories, signing off. Goodbye, friend. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.